DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is the author of many best-selling books on the theology and spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He holds the St. Ignatius Chair of Spiritual Formation at St. John Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies, with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Father Gallagher. Thanks once more, Chris. We are going to visit Paul's father again. Paul, some of the listeners may remember, was the one who was trying to help his dad work through some of the struggles of just entering into a prayerful life and some of the things that he experienced and how wonderful it is when we can share with others some of the periods that we have so they know that they're not alone and maybe it's not always so easy. Yeah, something really beautiful happens here between Paul and his father. So let's uh, dive into it, and we'll be coming back to this a little later on as well. So Paul has been sharing, as you say, Chris, with his father about uh, what's happening in, in his life of prayer, and this is getting his father interested. His father was away from the practice of the faith for a long time. It was really Paul's mother who really raised him in the faith. But his father has been coming back to the practice of the faith and is now as his son shares, is getting interested in maybe trying some kind of daily prayer himself. And what happens is the following. So he writes this to his son. On Sunday, our pastor talked about praying with the Bible. He invited all of us to do this for 10 minutes or more, if we can, each day of practice we've been talking about. The fact that we continue to return to this practice might be an invitation. You know, is the Lord calling you to dedicate some minutes to prayer each day. And might this be one way of doing it? There are others, but one way of doing it would be to pray with the readings from the daily Mass. So in the bulletin, he quoted St. Francis de Sales, who says, and this is in the introduction to The Devout Life, I especially counsel you to practice mental prayer. Now he's speaking to lay people here. I especially counsel you to practice mental prayer, the prayer of the heart, and particularly that which centers on the life and passion of the Lord, the Gospels. By often turning your eyes to him in meditation, your whole soul will be filled with him. I assure you that we cannot go to God the Father except through this gate. Other saints will say the same kind of thing. It's almost literally what Dodd Teresa of Avila says, you know, that this is the gateway to all grace. So Paul's father asks Paul, is this what you've been doing? Maybe I should try it. The saint makes it sound pretty important. And now some days later, Paul's father tells Paul, I got a Bible, first one I've ever had. And then the pastor had talked about praying with the daily readings. So he subscribed to the monthly publication the pastor had mentioned. mentioned. So now he has the tools, so to speak, that he needs the Bible and the daily readings. He says it probably is wise to stay with 10 minutes since this is all new. So this is a man who has never prayed like this before and has heard the counsel that daily meditation with Scripture on the Gospels in a special way is almost a necessary practice in the spiritual life and with goodwill sets out to begin this. 
Five days later. Well, this morning I made my first try, ten minutes with the day's gospel. The text was Matthew 5, 1 through 12. I'm, I'm not going to give all the week one or week two and feast days and so on, but he's following um, the readings that begin on November 1st. So that's where the selection of readings comes. The text was Matthew 5, 1 through 12, where Jesus tells different kinds of people they are blessed. So he means the Beatitudes here. It says that he is on a mountain. I don't know where the mountain is or why he went there. I had all kinds of questions. Who are these poor in spirit? What does that mean? What is the kingdom of heaven? Is that here on earth or in heaven? Why should people who mourn be called blessed? That's not what we usually think. What are they mourning about? Who is going to comfort them? I imagine that it is God. And so on for ten minutes. It passed quickly, but I had more questions than answers. Still, I'm glad to have begun. Three days later. This is my third day, and the gospel for today is Luke 14, 25-33. It puzzles me that I started with Matthew 5 two days ago, and now the gospel is Luke 14. So Paul's father doesn't quite realize what's going on. The passage of the Beatitudes would be there because there's some saint's feast day on that day. And uh, the Luke 14 tells us that we are toward the end of the liturgical year, some weeks away from Advent. And the church finishes the years. First, we go through the Gospel of Mark, and then Matthew, and then finally Luke. But this is all new for Paul's father. Um, It puzzles me that we started with Matthew 5, now we're in Luke 14. Why does it skip around like this? Right away, I had a question. Why does Jesus tell us that we have to hate our parents, our children, and our brothers and sisters if we want to be his disciples? I thought we were supposed to love, not hate. It's a fair question for someone reading the scripture the first time. Then he talks about building towers and going to battle. Well, I suppose that, like anything new, it takes time to understand this. A week later, I've been doing these ten minutes after supper, but I often get interrupted. Somebody calls, or your mother says something, or the television is on. So again, with goodwill, but his father is new to this, and probably the time he's choosing is not the best time or the best setting for this, because he is very likely to get interrupted. To be honest, I'm finding this prayer hard. I can't seem to get into it. Today's gospel was Luke 17, 11 through 19, about lepers, Samaria, Galilee, being healed, and some priests. I get a vague sense that we should thank God for his blessings, but there's a lot I don't understand. I'm beginning to wonder if I can keep this up. Not much happens when I try to pray this way. Four days later. More questions about the gospel, Mark 13, 24 through 32. In those days, what days are these? What tribulation? Why will the sun be darkened and the moon not give light? Then the Son of Man coming on clouds, fig trees, an hour that no one knows. I don't know how to put this together with St. Francis de Sales' words about how important meditation is. I just know that I don't find it helpful. I'm reluctant to do it when I know it will be dry and difficult. So what we're identifying here is one thing that we might be saying when we say my prayer is dry. Now, obviously, Paul's father is not at fault anywhere in this. With very good will, he's taking what is a very new step in the spiritual life. He has the right tools for it. 
again, the Bible and the, um, the daily monthly publication. But when he actually gets down to trying to pray with the Bible, it, as he says, uh, more questions than answers, it's just very confusing to him. Why are we skipping around from text to text like this in the daily mass? All of these different things that are there in the scripture. So what we're highlighting here is that sometimes the reason why prayer may feel dry is that we just need formation in prayer. And that's very much what Paul's father needs at this point. Let's suppose that in addition to doing these 10 minutes like this a day, uh, Paul's father starts attending uh, a weekly Bible study in his parish or an online program uh, that he can follow. Maybe he begins to do some reading about this. Let's say that Paul points him to some of these resources. And then maybe he's reading about prayer itself, you know, some of the kinds of things we've been talking about as we go along imaginative or reflective and so forth. These kinds of issues are going to resolve and his prayer will no longer be dry because now he has the formation that we need in order to pray well. See, John Henry Newman has a line in one of those lovely sermons of his in which he says, the only way we can begin to pray is by praying badly. Well, of course, the only way you can begin to play the piano well is by playing badly at the start or anything or speaking a language, or whatever it is. So the need for Paul's father and any one of us who, with goodwill, takes new steps in prayer, but finds it kind of confusing and difficult and has questions without answers, the need there is for formation in prayer. And our Catholic spiritual tradition has such a rich wealth of avenues to, to get that kind of reading. And as Paul's father grows in his knowledge of Scripture, and of prayer, uh, he'll also find that this dryness will dissipate. Yeah, it's a real encouragement to kind of explore that, especially with praying with Scripture, there's a lot of helps that even if it's just guided meditations, they can help draw questions that you may not have considered or brief commentaries or, as you said, in larger Scripture studies, it doesn't have to be the big commitment necessarily to undergo a study, though that may you may be led to that as you begin to grow. It's just seeking out maybe this variant, the way I want to describe this, just a variant of what you've chosen to begin, and not necessarily because we're taking to heed the words of uh, Rule 5, don't make a change, but uh, maybe this is just a little bit of an adaption to kind of enhance that decision, that discernment. Yes, you know, I, I'm going to be quite confident that anyone listening to this conversation is not a person in Paul's father's situation. That is, that if we're listening to this, it probably is because we do have a daily life of prayer. But nonetheless, you can just ask the question, would further formation in prayer enhance my prayer? Are there questions that I face in my prayer when I'm not quite sure how you pray in this situation or that? And would further learning about prayer uh, encourage and enhance and enrich our prayer? Probably all of us, and I'll include myself, we have more to learn. I'll just say that at present I'm rereading Teresa of Avila's autobiography, and it's very helpful. I read it years ago, but I'm reading it from a different place now and just very much enjoying what I'm seeing there. You know, another memory is coming to me here, and this was also before I entered the seminary. I had 
been hearing and reading and spiritual reading about this thing called meditation. And all these authors said it was so important that you really needed it in the spiritual life. I had no idea what it was, had no idea how you even would begin this. And then I came across Francis de Sales' Introduction to the Devout Life and started reading. And in that book, early on, he has a set of 10 meditations. And they're all spelled out for you. First you do this, then you do this, then you think about this, then you think about this. And I was happy to find that because now I said, okay, now I can start trying to do this thing called meditation. And I went through the 10 of them and liked it, but got to the end of the 10 and said, now what? And you know, I didn't know what to do and I didn't know anybody I could ask about it at that time. So it's hard to stop there. Well, there are many, many resources so if meditation, even as we're talking about it, seems like a, an inviting thing, but not something that I've ever done, look into it because you will love what happens. You know, I'm thinking also, and I think we mentioned this at some point in these conversations, how Venerable Ann Terry asks this mother of four children to try to dedicate 15 minutes every day, if she can, to some form of meditation. It really blesses the spiritual life. You kind of bring up a, a point in my mind, Father, that I think it might be worthy of maybe your how you feel about this. There can be those meditations that whether we read it in a book or we hear it, say, in a podcast or something like that, where someone is reading to us or speaking to us but at the end of it, it just kind of ends. And I think what we're being called to, aren't we, if we're going to fashion this into a prayer as opposed to just being, I don't want to use the word entertained because that's not, it's a little deeper than that. But in context of prayer, what we've just fed on, how can that be brought into our prayer life? Does that make sense? I mean, how does that relate to us? How do we understand it? What are we taking away from it? Uniting it in prayer. Do you see where I'm going with that, Father? Sure. Yeah, I think all of those resources are excellent because they launch us into prayer. And what St. Ignatius would say is, oh, well, let's say you're uh, five minutes into the 10-minute biblical reflection on a podcast and something really speaks to your heart, maybe you just stop the podcast there and let your heart be there as long as your heart desires to be there. I'll quote Ignatius again on this, in the point where I am finding what I am seeking. So that part of the podcast really spoke to something in my life and my heart. There I will rest without anxiety to go forward until my heart is satisfied. So that would be the principle. These are all starting points, whether it's a podcast or anything recorded, even the biblical text, which is the launching point, you know, for, for all prayer. And then when our heart gets engaged, then we let our heart stay there as long as there is grace in that. I would like to refer uh, anyone listening to another series that we did entitled Meditation and Contemplation, an Ignatian Guide to Praying with Scripture, but meditation and contemplation, which would take anyone through these ways of praying with Scripture in some detail. And then I think I think the person would feel ready to, to do it. Yeah, because I've, I've found myself, I mean, I will, I can buzz through a book 
maybe faster than most. And I might have brought in information and it's taught me something, but it's not necessarily I'm not praying, even if it seems to be a holy book written by a very pious, saintly person. It's different when you can sit back and just allow it to come into you or enumerate, as it were, with what you're receiving. And then, okay, all right, Lord. And it doesn't have to be something formal, but you there is a difference, maybe. There are different ways of using a written text. In some books, that's the best way to approach them, is to read through them for the sake of the information. And we probably read pretty steadily until we finish. Then if we speak about spiritual reading, we're still reading a book. St. Catherine of Siena's confessor, this was uh, Father Raymond, he writes of watching her reading some kind of spiritual text and just noticing how she would stop when anything ever spoke to her. And she'd stay there as long as her heart felt moved to be there. And there was light and uh, strengthening and a sense of God's closeness and love. And then when it felt like that was complete, she would pick up the text and go on. So in spiritual reading, we're still reading through a text, but it's probably going to go more slowly and we're going to assimilate it more deeply. It may well be that at various points, the reading will simply turn into prayer, you know, meditation or reflection. And then finally, there is meditation itself. And that's the reason why we never take pages and pages of scripture uh, when we are going to meditate on it. We generally will choose a text roughly about maybe as long as the gospel at the daily mass might be. So that there is no hurry. There is no need to conclude. And it's bite size, you know, uh, it's heart size, so to speak, so that our hearts can, let's say it's Jesus with the 10 lepers whom he heals and the one comes back. Our hearts have time in those 20 minutes, half hour or longer, whatever amount of time we spend to dwell deeply with it. So texts are read in different ways depending on how we're approaching them. And in meditation, the text will not be very long. And that gives our hearts time to enter deeply into it. There I will rest until my heart is satisfied. And again, what we're talking about is that that type of dryness that can come in our prayer. And just to just be open, not, not to necessarily change course, but to realize that identify, be aware, understand, and then take action. And this is just one of the ways to take action just to learn more about prayer and about the Bible. And if, if we do that, not only will our prayer come alive more, but everything in our spiritual life is going to benefit from that. So we just get closer to the Word of God, which is food for the journey, as the Second Vatican Council says, a pure fount of spiritual life and nourishment. So, Thank you so much, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. We'll return to Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies with Father Timothy Gallagher. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, 
all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Welcome back, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. We continue looking at different types of dryness that can happen in the spiritual journey, and it's quite a struggle in that spiritual life, isn't it? Well, as we said from the start, yes, but the struggles are worth facing because the spiritual life itself is so rich and fruitful and, and blessed in our lives. The struggles are not the main thing. The main thing is God's love and the communion with him. But then there are struggles along the way. And so that's our focus here is just naming them clearly and then seeing their remedies. This next experience, we go back to Julie and her friend Emily. And Julie is growing in her life for prayer. And she has now started this kind of meditation daily. And uh, they had a weekend on Ignatian prayer in her parish, and she went to it and learned how to pray uh, in the way that we've been describing, entering into the scene imaginatively or reflecting on the words. And good things are happening, and she's been at this for some time. And now she's together having coffee, let's say at a, at a Starbucks or something like that, with her friend Emily. Emily picks up on the fact that uh, when they do start talking about spiritual things, as they inevitably do, that Julie's a little more quiet than usual, and she senses there's something going on there and invites her to share this, and Julie is willing to do this. So, Julie says to Emily, recently it's gotten harder to pray. The prayer seems more dry, so we're back to our, our dryness that we're looking at here. I get distracted more easily. It doesn't have the same impact. Some days... I don't pray. I'm not happy about that, but that's where things are. And that's why I got silent when you began talking about prayer. So Emily asks a good question. Has anything changed in these last weeks? Nothing major, uh, Julie answers. And then Emily asks another very good question. What about small changes then? Have there been any of those? And uh, Julie thinks, and then she smiles a little bit wryly, and she says, I'm almost ashamed to tell you but I've gotten interested in that new TV series. Once I started watching it, I've been spending more time on TV most evenings. And Emily said, well, you know, why does that come to mind as you talk thinking about prayer? Because it has changed my evenings. I get to bed later now. 
how does that affect things? In two ways. It gets harder to get up early and have that time for prayer. So some days I do the 20 minutes whenever I can, and it's usually more distracted. Also, it means that I don't prepare the same way in the evening. I look at the readings quickly, if I do it all, and I don't always get to the commentary. Now, she had learned in that weekend on prayer of Ignatius' counsel to prepare the next day's meditation the evening before as the day is ending. And it's just a brief preparation. It just means looking at the scriptures, choosing your scripture. And if you have a brief uh, devotional, spiritual commentary, maybe just looking through a few paragraphs of that, but it helps a lot. There's a big difference, as Ignatius uh, instructs us, between rising the next morning and not really knowing what I'm going to pray with and rising the next morning and all of that is already there, like a seed planted the night before. Julie's been doing this and finding it helpful, but now since her evenings are more filled with the uh, the watching on television and so forth, sometimes she's just not getting to that anymore, or if she does it, it's very quick. And so Emily just says, I can see how that makes a difference. It does. And when I go to pray, I don't feel that I'm prepared, so it's harder to get started. I also feel less free to see the Lord's look of love as I begin, before I immerse myself in the passage. And so the conclusion is not difficult to see. To be honest, there's no great mystery here. If I return to the way I prepared before, and if I pray in the morning, and not as I can throughout the day, I don't doubt that the dryness will pass and the prayer will be fruitful again. So I've called this uh, something has slipped. If, if we sense that's something that we know is helpful for us in our prayer, uh, preparing in a certain way, using certain resources, a certain time of day, and a place that best helps us to pray, and if for any reason some of those things have slipped a bit and prayer is to that extent more difficult, well then the remedy is pretty clear just resume again those things that best help us to pray. And that form of dryness uh, will dissipate, will disappear as well. I just have to once again reiterate, after listening to the story, the type of quote-unquote direction, as it were, or accompaniment, we can have with a good friend. It's not always in this particular case, and maybe many cases that we're experiencing when we struggle with our prayer that those good friends, those people that know us, the spiritual ones, we know who they are to seek out their counsel. And sometimes, just like her friend, she just asks questions. What's happening? What's going on? Not necessarily telling her or accusing her. That's what a good friend does, you know, just trying to open up that space for a conversation. That just makes the point again that we've uh, repeated already many times is it's not good to be alone in the spiritual life. What if Julie didn't have Emily as a friend? You know, how might her prayer go and continue? And maybe at some point, it being difficult, she might just start to let it go. But she does have the friend, and she can talk with her. And Emily's not trying to be her spiritual director. She's just a friend. Mm -hmm. But both of them love the Lord, and both of them are living spiritual lives. Emily has been at this longer than Julie. And Emily, as a good friend, is just, yeah, not saying you should need to do this or that, just their friends talking about their experience. I think I've shared this in other series that we've done, but I remember I was provincial for 10 years in my community, 
And every fall, there was international travel. We'd have meetings somewhere in the world, and there might be other things attached to it. And I would get back pretty worn out from that. And the habit that I'd gotten into was scheduling a few days at a retreat house that was just outside Boston, where, where I was living at the time. And it probably wasn't really wise to do that. I mean, it was physically restful, but when you're that tired, uh, to be alone is not really a good thing. I had arranged to have dinner with a priest friend during one of those days and one time when I was doing this. As we got talking, you know, kind of like Julie's doing, I was just sharing the way things were at the moment. And my priest friend, without trying to be a director or anything, he just said, sounds like you're in desolation. Well, it was like a big light bulb went off. Oh, that's what this is. And that just changed everything for me because having a name for it, and he was right, you know, it was obvious that he was right. Then I knew uh, much more clearly what to do about it. So yeah, absolutely. And especially today when there's so little support around us to have these people in our lives with whom we can walk on the spiritual journey is um, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So much so that uh, I would almost say that being accompanied or not being accompanied will make the difference in whether we sustain or don't sustain the life of prayer. If we are accompanied, we are much, much more likely to be able to sustain it, as you see with Julie here. Now, I'm going to bring this forward. We've talked about it so often, Father, but I know I hear it from people, unfortunately, often. And it is, I can't move forward because I don't have a quote-unquote spiritual director. I can't find one. Or the worst that I've heard, and God bless these souls, they'll say, well, God doesn't want that for me, or he He hasn't answered my prayer, or he's ignoring me on this, or something to that nature as though God is ignoring or punishing because they don't have this director. And, and again, it's important to see what, what he has before you. Look around, see who he has in your life made available. Maybe it's so much closer than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first thing I'd say is that God is never going to, I don't know, call us to account for something that's impossible. You know, if a person has really done all that he or she feels he or she can do to try to find that accompaniment, and it just thus far at least hasn't happened, um, God is not going to, as it were, uh, diminish his love and his closeness and his grace um, at work in our hearts. But having said that, we do have a promise from the Lord, seek and you will find. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Jesus says, maybe I've tried I've reached out to this person and asked for spiritual direction, and it wasn't possible. And with some courage, I asked a second person, and it wasn't possible. And then it gets hard to keep asking, you know. What I'd warmly encourage us to do is don't give up too easily on that. But even so, let's grant that even so, thus far at least, it has not been easy to find spiritual direction. Still, we we need to be accompanied. And as I've mentioned other times, confession is a, is a wonderful way to be accompanied in the spiritual life, in addition to the sacramental grace of absolution, which is such a beautiful thing. It's a place where we can, if only briefly, put things into words in our spiritual life. And 
if only briefly, receive some counsel from the confessor. All the more if it's the same confessor, if we can go regularly to that um, to that one who is, as Ignatius would say, a good confessor, one who's knowledgeable in spiritual things. Do we ever make a retreat? There's a big difference between a year in which we speak to no one and a year in which we make our annual retreat, which is a classic practice in the uh, Catholic spiritual tradition, maybe a weekend retreat at a retreat house somewhere, and we have a chance to speak to a spiritual director or the retreat director when we're there. And then uh, spiritual friends, as we've been saying, can we look for these people? And today, you know, with video conversations possible, geography is not really an obstacle to this sort of conversation. Are there groups? Sometimes there are groups of friends who get together just to enjoy being with each other, but also to share about spiritual things. And then one spouse, groups in the parish, and so on. So my counsel, I may have said this already in this series, is create a network of ways of being accompanied. Let's say you haven't been able to find a spiritual director yet, but you do have a confessor. You do make an annual retreat. You do have a spiritual friend with whom you speak. And where it's possible you share with your spouse, you're going to be accompanied in the way that you need even as you continue to hope for eventually finding a spiritual director. So this is absolutely central to persevering in the life of prayer. I'll just say personally, this has made all the difference and does make all the difference as I try to live the spiritual life. I've always had a spiritual director. That has made a big difference over the years. Of course, as a religious priest, I live in community. There are five others, and we pray together. We have meals together. And of course, we share an awful lot of ministry and life together. And so none of the others are trying to be my spiritual director, but our company, we accompany each other in a way that is very, very strengthening for all of us. And then, of course, there are people that I know through through ministry or various contacts with whom I can share about spiritual things, and that's a great encouragement. So it's something that we all need. Our humanity is built by God, created by God, to be social, to reach out to others. And that's every level of our experience and very much on the spiritual level as well. Yeah, and just as those who have been called to the lay vocation, we have been called into family. You know, whether the family is small or large, uh, extended, or whatever that is, in a very real way, hopefully we have within the family an opportunity to speak about these things. Well, thank you so much, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it in the free Discerning Hearts app. You can also view the video of this presentation by visiting the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, 
to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies with Father Timothy Gallagher.